Good afternoon. It's good to be here as always. It's good to be at home in our home church. I feel like we've been gone a lot this year just because uh, things uh, have have come up. I've been preaching at another church, trying to help them out, and we're working on, if you could be in prayer for West Fraser Baptist up in Memphis, we're working on a permanent solution to that, so that way uh, it won't take so many of us to help that church with providing preaching. Um, I want to, so I've been, last week I was gone. I was uh, at, in Washington State. I was visiting my kids and my grandkids, and for all the younger men in here, I know the older guys who are already grandpas, you know about this already, but for all you younger guys, whenever you guys have grandkids, that's it. That's when all the tough guy act goes away. You're, you're nothing but a bowl of jello and just them little kids just melt you. And I just love being with them. I had a really good time. And it's cool because when they cry or they mess themselves or whatever else, it's not my responsibility anymore. I just hand it over to the mom or the dad and, I, and it's an easy day. Being a grandpa is, um, by far the easiest task uh, that I've done in a long time. <clears throat> so with that, though, a whole new set of anxieties arose within me now that I have grandchildren. I think about the state of this nation, right? You can't help but think about that if you have grandchildren. You think, what's going to be left for them? And so that's, I want to talk today about anxiety from Philippians chapter four. If, if you guys have been here for, you know, a while, you know that I've kind of systematically hit a main point from each one of the chapters in Philippians. In Philippians chapter one, we talked about gospel citizenship and what that looks like having a connected head, heart, and hands. So what we think, what we believe in our hearts, what we know is true and how we react and how we act. And then in chapter two, we took that beautiful picture in the beginning of Christ's humility and we said we need humility to remain in unity. And in chapter three, we talked about contentment and what it looks like to be content just in Christ, not in Christ plus my job, my money, my school, anything else, just Christ. And now I want to talk about anxiety. And the the message is called anxiety, the thief amongst believers. And so we all experience anxiety. I, I am convinced that there is not a human that does not at some point in their life experience some sort of anxiety. It may be small. It may be large. It may be something that you have to struggle through each and every day of your life. There are people who live with anxiety that much. And so what, what actually is anxiety? What causes anxiety? And so right now I'm just going to name off some things, but at the end... I'm going to ask us to be vulnerable, and I'm going to ask us to be vulnerable in a way that I hope to tie this together so that we can have some practical application. But think about the things in today's world that cause us anxiety. If you turn on the news right now to Fox, CNN, whatever version of news you choose to watch, you're going to see some pretty horrific things, right? East Palestine, Ohio. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the number of mass shootings in this country is up 167% at this point from the beginning uh, of the year last year until t- today's date. 167% is up. Um, we think about the economic crisis in our country. We think about... Um, the, the, at one point there was no baby formula. If, if, you, if that's how you had to feed your baby, you were scrambling, trying to find food for your baby. You can go into any store at this, at any given time and something that we need is either super expensive or it, they're out of it. 
I remember during the COVID pandemic, I went into a store and I remember a mother frantically searching the aisles and searching the freezer or the the refrigerator section, moving things, looking for one, any size container of milk because there was no milk for her to get to give to her children. Um, School, jobs, work, family. If you're single, are you anxious about finding a spouse? If you're married, are you anxious about how you are towards your spouse? Are you anxious about your children, parents, about your grandchildren, grandparents, about everything that we have going on in our lives, right? It can cause anxiety. So here's a working definition of anxiety. This is not something I made up on my own. I kind of put it in my own words, but it was taken from a, a lot of different resources. I would say that anxiety is the fear of what we can't control. It's a distraction in the life of a believer to keep them from the things the Lord has for them. And it deters believers from trusting fully in a sovereign God and recognizing him as the God who can handle everything. I put recognizing him as the God who can handle everything on purpose because a lot of times people say, well, I'm anxious and I know what I need to do is I just need, I need to allow God to do everything. But we know that we don't allow God to do anything. God does what God does when God wants and how God wants, right? So I think verbiage is a very important part in how we communicate things. And so we need to recognize that we serve and love and are a part of a family of a God who can handle everything. So turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And I know everybody knows this passage. This is the, right? If you were to come to a biblical counselor and sit down and say, oh, I struggle with anxiety, this might be one out of the top two passages. It's either this one or Matthew 6, 25 to 34. That's where, that's where any biblical counselor is going to take you. But I want to do something with this passage today that I hope allows us to apply this passage to our lives when we're anxious. So Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 4, and I'm going to read through verse 9. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful or be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasseth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. In verse 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. So I broke this down into two categories. We have commands to follow and we have promises to hold to. So let's look at the commands to follow. The first one is right there in verse 4, right? And he repeats the word two times. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In Scripture, we know that if we see something and it's doubled up, right, we should be paying attention. When I was in the military and a guy would come up and would teach us a lesson and they would be driving home these points and teaching us all these different things, if they stomp their foot, 
that meant we should pay attention because they were, it was going to be on an exam or we were going to get tested in it on practical application, how we could complete the task. So listen to this word. Rejoice again. Or sorry, rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. So I'm going to stomp my foot because you need to remember to rejoice. Anxiety will suck out any ability for you to rejoice if you allow it to consume you. And when you're not rejoicing in what the Lord has done for you, will do for you, and is doing for you, notice I said is doing for you, right? It's easy for us to think about what the Lord's done for us in the past and how he's brought me from this point to this point. And then it's really easy to focus on, well, when this whole situation on this earth is done, I know that I have this great reward in heaven with the king, and I'm going to worship at his feet for the rest of my eternal life. And we can think, oh, that's so glorious. And oh, I'm so glad that he brought me from the point of spiritual death to spiritual life. But we forget he is still working in us here and now, right now. It's not, I saved you, you're on your own, and then I'll bring you to me. There's no such thing. That's not Christianity. That's not how the Lord Jesus works. That's not how God intended our faith life to be. Remember that when Paul wrote this book, he wasn't in a comfortable situation, right? He was chained up in a prison. This is one of the prison epistles. And he was, for all intents and purposes, think about a prison. Think about a prison right now. If you were in jail, you would be in, what, a little 8 by 8 cell or an 8 by 10 cell. Maybe you have a bunkmate. Maybe you don't. Maybe if you have a bunkmate, he's not, he's not a nice bunkmate, so you guys are fighting every day. People are trying to take your life, steal your belongings. But think about a prison in Paul's day where he's chained to a guard, can't really go anywhere or do anything. Maybe he's getting beaten. We, I don't really know what prison looks like in that day. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you guys. So don't, I'm not trying to put into the text. I'm just painting a picture that Paul is saying rejoice in the Lord always, even when you're locked up in prison, even when the world around us is falling apart, even when we're single and we desire to have a mate, even when our grandkids are growing up in a world that we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold for them, even when the Democrats or the Republicans are in office, it doesn't matter. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So Paul is rejoicing even though he's in prison. Even though he's in the worst of situations. And the next thing we see in verse five, the beginning of verse five, it says, let your moderation be known. It's another way of saying, let your gentleness be shown. Let people see you treating other people with kindness and gentleness and compassion. Second Corinthians 10.1 says, meekness and gentleness of Christ, the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Brother Lewis this morning shared a verses from uh, the verses from Matthew at the end of chapter 11 and he where Christ describes himself as meek and lowly in heart meek and lowly in heart do you think that that's a Jesus who when you go to him or when you when you are you know going to the father through him that he's standing with a heavy hand and he's just pointing a finger at you and telling you, I told you not to do these things in my word, but you're still doing them. And he just ridicules you and berates you and is heavy handed and is just abusive in the way he wants you to come to him. No, negative. That's not how it works. He's 
gentle and meek and lowly in heart. And so we should be the same way when we deal with other people. And I, I, I always thought about this, like, why would that be in this passage? He's getting ready to roll into talking about anxiety. Well, think about this. When you're dealing with people and you have a situation that comes up and you have a choice to deal with somebody the way Christ would deal with them or the way you would deal with them and be heavy-handed and be judgmental and be rude and mean and hurtful, or as you Southerners say, be ugly, Right? When you're that way, when you choose your way and you're ugly, what happens inside of you? It causes you to be anxious about the situation. It causes you to be in, have eternal, ter, internal, sorry, internal turmoil that causes you to just think all over the place and you can't focus on what needs to be focused on and, and, and the issue at hand. The most immediate outward expression of a rejoicing heart is Christ-like gentleness. I wish I could say I quoted that myself, but that's something I got within my studies. Um, but that's, that's a powerful statement. The most immediate outward expression of a rejoicing heart is Christ-like gentleness. Because what we have in Christ, we can hold to. And we can rejoice in them and we can honor God and we can persevere in a way that honors God. But we can't do that if we're all riled up on the inside because we're handling things in a bad way and we're heavy handed with people and we're ugly. And then it rolls into the next commandment in this, in this section and it says in the beginning of verse six is be careful for nothing or, or be anxious for nothing is another way to say that. Be anxious for nothing. And it would be a lot easy. It would be really easy if I could just get up here and say, today we're going to talk about anxiety. Here's a working definition of anxiety. Everybody turn into your scriptures to Philippians 4, 6, and I'm going to only read the first line in the thing. Be anxious for nothing. Let's pray. Amen. Go home. Have a great day, right? It would be really good if that's how we took that scripture, that literally. But the thing is, is when I say, be anxious for nothing, be careful for nothing, the first thing everybody starts thinking about is the things that they're anxious about, right? Like, man, what about this test tomorrow? I started thinking about Greek, and I'm up here talking to you because I'm knee-deep in some Greek right now, and I'm not going to lie, brother, sister, it's kicking my booty right now, okay? And so it's hard. It's a hard subject for me to grasp. So I get anxious. Am I going to make the grade? Am I going to pass the test? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? And whatever you're thinking about when I tell you, be anxious for nothing. But then it gives us the second part of that. And my favorite word in the Bible legitimately is but. Because it there's always something great and wonderful following the word but in Scripture. For example, you were dead in your trespasses, but God Right? And the but gods are the best. But hear this one. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So the command is pray for your concerns. But what's a concern, Robert? We have two things that we can do that we have to do in life or two things that face us, I guess. We have responsibilities and we have concerns. And I always do this when I counsel people. I say, if your responsibilities are this circle and your concerns are this circle, you cannot allow your responsibilities and your concerns to join up. 
Because when you do that, that creates anxiety. That, that's what anxiety is. Because your concerns are things that you can't control. Go back up to the working, uh, the working definition. Anxiety is the fear of what we can't control. Parents know this firsthand. Every parent in here knows this. You cannot control the decisions your adult children make. Cannot. You can give them advice. You can jump up and down. You can tell them scriptures. You can, you can do everything in your power to try to persuade them not to do fill in the blank. But the bottom line is they have to make the decision to do it. But how many sleepless nights do you lay up thinking and praying and wondering? And if I would have said it this way, if I only did this, or if, if they would just do this, or if I could just make them see this, then life would be better. But we can't control it. So we have to pray for our concerns. So when we let those responsibilities and those concerns mix, it creates anxiety and it creates sleepless nights and it creates angst within us and it creates a loss of focus on our ability to rejoice in the Lord and and other things that we're going to talk about as we continue through this passage. So we pray, we take our concerns to the Lord. We do our responsibilities. Remember that word do, D-O. It's the most powerful word, powerful word in the English language. I'm gonna, and I'm going to get to that here in a minute. And then we, we take our concerns and we put them at the cross. And we recognize, we don't allow God to do what he's going to do. We recognize that God is sovereign, that he's powerful, and that he can handle our situation. If you think that you've ever been in a situation or that you are ever going to be in a situation that our God cannot handle, please stand up and collect your things and walk out of the church right now. We won't say anything. No one will laugh at you. But that's not the God we serve here. Ripley believes in a God that is all-powerful, all-sovereign, in control, and can handle every situation. And the reason why we know that is because we have it right here in his word, and it's guaranteed to us in the forms of promises. The next thing that we see that we need to do is in verse 8. And we need to focus on holy and good things of Christ and not those things that we're worried about. It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Notice that he's not making suggestions on these things. He's not saying, well, if you're really anxious, you could pray. It might help. No, he's telling us to pray. And now he's telling us to focus on these things. Think about these things, right? True, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. When you see those words, who should you automatically think about? Jesus Christ. When we focus on Christ and the things of Christ, the attributes of Christ, the attributes of God, the attributes of the Holy Spirit, the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, those things can help you deal with anxiety. Why? Because they will show you very quickly that God is in control, that the God or that God is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do. 
And when you start thinking on the things of Christ, these things that are good and just and true and honest and pure, the things that are worrying you will subside. And I know that sounds like some magic potion, right, that I just whipped up and some cliche thing that should be on a bumper sticker. Oh, don't worry, be happy, right? Like, no, that's not what this is. This is truth in the form of God's all-inspired, breathed-out word. And then the last command is that we are to do these things. That's that's all verse 9 tells us to do. It says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Back to that two-letter word, do. In my opinion, again, this is just Robert's opinion, that is the most powerful word in the English language. And I say that because if you do something... That's the difference between being a victim and being a victor. Now, does that mean that if you were the victim of some crime, a human against a human, that you're not a victim? No, that's not what I'm saying. How many people here know somebody who's stuck in a bad situation and instead of doing something to get themselves out of it, like coming to church, praying, paying their bills on time, not drinking too much, stop using drugs, they're a victim of their own circumstances, are they not? Because they won't do anything. So Paul is reminding us, do these things. Pray. Take your concerns to the Lord. He hears you. He will answer your prayers, even if it's not in the way that we want him to. He's telling us, focus on these good things when you're anxious so that you can have the ability to rejoice. So you see what you can rejoice in and who you can rejoice in. And he's telling you, don't be anxious. Then we have promises to hold. Go through these. They're pretty cut and dry. In verse 7, we have the, it says that we're going to have that the peace of God, which surpasseth, surpasseth all understanding, shall keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So we're not anxious. We're taking, to taking our anxieties to the Lord in prayer. And then we get promised that the peace of God, the, the, the serenity, the love, the comfort, the joy of God will keep our hearts and minds in Christ. Why is that important? Because the very next verse says, finally, whatsoever things are, one, two, three, four, five, six, all those things, start thinking on those things. Keep your minds and heart in Christ Jesus. That's a promise, and you can take it to the bank. And when it says it guards, that means that that word in the Greek is like soldiers guarding something. I know when I was in Afghanistan and it was my turn for watch, and we had all our gear and our radios and we had our little sectors of fire, you couldn't have paid me enough money to fall asleep as tired as I was or as, you know, just raggedy beat up as I was. I stayed on guard and I protected my area that I was in charge of protecting because I didn't want to let people down. I didn't want anybody getting hurt. Well, this is even better than that. This is God guarding. God never gets tired. God never fails. God never needs relief from another soldier to come take his post. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, let not your heart be anxious, neither let it be afraid. 
And then we see that the God of peace will be with you at the end of chapter, I'm sorry, verse nine. It says those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do and the God of peace shall be with you. This is talking about God being with us, being in our proximity, being around us. That, that, that peace of God is with us. And that goes to the last promise that we can hold to. Go all the way back up to verse 5. And I want you to see this and I want you to drive it home in your mind. To me, it's the most important line in this passage. The end of verse 5 says, The Lord is at hand. Some translations read, The Lord is near. Brothers and sisters, in all of the things that we face in this world and all of the things that we go through, the Lord is near. If you've been abused, if you've lost children, if you have suffered at the hands of other people, if you know what it's like to be hungry and poor and destitute, the Lord was with you in every one of those moments. The Lord is with you now. The Lord will be with you tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and for eternity. For those who are in Christ, that's our promise. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. So before we get to some application points, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Just if you guys want to do like a a deep study on a book and you're thinking like, man, I really want to get some wisdom from, from God on some things on how to handle life, go read the book of Ecclesiastes. I've been reading it for school. Uh, I'm going through a class called Biblical Counseling and Wisdom Literature. And I didn't realize how much wisdom is in this book of wisdom. (laughs) So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 22 to 23. 2, 22 and 23. For what hath man of all his labor and of the vexation of his heart, wherein he hath labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrows and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. So what's happening here in the first two or three chapters of Ecclesiastes is Solomon is trying to figure out what is life all about? How, where does happiness come from? Where does everything come from? Is all of this for nothing? Is it pointless? Is it worthless? Is there a rhyme or a reason for things? He's trying to answer the question, what is the purpose of life? And throughout the entirety of chapters 1 and 2, he starts to quickly realize that life is the same no matter what. That no matter how hard I work or how little I work, everything's still going to be the same. And I know that sounds crazy, and I think it's crazy too, but then he starts to even to think about well, why should I work hard and I set up this big kingdom and this massive uh, achievements that I have and everything's so great and wonderful. When I die, I'm just going to leave it to somebody who hasn't even worked hard for it and I don't know what they're going to do. So that would be if Pastor Lewis was to stay awake at night and think, well, if I'm not the pastor of Ripley, when I leave, who's going to be the pastor of Ripley? What are they going to do with Ripley when I'm gone? It'd be the same the same concept. And so what he says in verse 23 is, that all the days are sorrows and his, and, and his travail grief and his heart taketh not rest in the night. This guy lays awake anxious thinking about 
all of these things over and over and over again. And if you go to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12, in verse 13, this is what his conclusion is. All of these chapters of all of this vexation is what scripture calls this, 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 this inner turmoil, this, this anxiety, this vanity, this fear of the things that he can't figure out and the, the things that he go, the, the lengths that he goes to to trying to figure it all out. This is the conclusion. Chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. So if we fear God and keep his commandments in the midst of our anxiety, will that help? I would argue yes. I would argue that if we are focused on the things of Christ and focused on the Lord and focused on rejoicing and focused on being fully inundated in him and the lifestyle that he has for us, that yes, that will help us with our anxiety. When our anxiety gets the best of us and it overpowers us and it causes us to worry to the point that we can't see anything good, all we can see is what we're worried about and what we're worked up about, that we have fallen away from the Lord and we need to quickly turn back to him and take those things that we're worried about to him and allow him to work those things in our lives. And so for, uh, for, for application, just three quick points. Number one, don't let anxiety steal your heart. Go to Proverbs 4.23. This is a verse we're all familiar with. Pastor Lewis reads it to us often. It says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Even if we got everything we ever wanted, our hearts would still want more we would still find something to be anxious about. There's always going to be something going on. Guard your hearts. Guard your hearts with his word. Guard your hearts by going to him in prayer. Guard your hearts with accountability. Guard your hearts here in the assembly of the saints and worshiping together. Guard your hearts by going to the foot of the cross and confessing, I can't handle the situation. I have children that are wayward and I don't know they won't listen to me, Lord. I need you. I need you to turn their hearts to you because I can't do it. Lord, I want a spouse so bad and I'm so anxious and worked up that I'm never going to have one, but I trust you. If that's what you have for me in my life, I know you're going to give it to me. If it's not, then I'll be content in what you have for me. Number two, don't let anxiety steal your hope. Isaiah 26 Verses 3 and 4. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Do not let anxiety steal your hope. Don't get so sidetracked by the, the cares and the worries of this world that you forget who and what you hope in. Because right there it says, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. 
And last, don't let anxiety steal your happiness. Psalm 94, 19. Psalm 94, 19. I'm going to read this in the King James, and then I want to, I want to share the NASB because it says it just a little, a little bit clearer. So it says, in a multitude, in the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. And the NASB, it says, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. What, what does that mean? It means when the, when our anxiousness builds up and we start to focus on those things that are good, and we start to focus on those things that are pure and just and holy, and we start to focus on Christ, and we start to rejoice in Christ in the midst of the bad situation, that those consolations, those good and right things that God has for us, those things will be our delight. Christ will be our delight. Christ will be what we pursue and who we pursue instead of Fill in the blank anxiety that draws us away and starts to steal from us our hearts, our hope, and our happiness. So brothers and sisters, I know everybody knows what anxiety is, and I know that we all have our anxieties that we walk through, and they're different, and we handle them differently. Um, I didn't try to come up here. My intent wasn't to come up here and to, to give you some scholarly lecture on that passage. I wanted to break it down in its simplest terms, and I wanted you to be able to apply it to your life this week and throughout the rest of your time on this earth so that you can remember that anxiety in in and of itself is not a sin. It's what we do with anxiety that can be sinful. And so here's what I want to do at the end. I want us to do something. We talk about prayer. We talk about worshiping as a corporate body. These people in here, we love one another, do we not? We know that to be true. We might have some differences of opinions. We have different preferences. But for all intents and purposes, we love one another. We are here for one another. We build one another up. We carry one another's burdens. So if you struggle with anxiety, and it can be for whatever I don't, I don't, you don't have to get that personal. Just slip your hand up in the air. I'll put my hand up because I struggle with anxiety. Look around church. Look around church. And I'm asking you to look around because I want you to see these hands that are up so that we can pray for one another by name for anxiety so that the prayer should be help. Brother Lewis had his hand up. Help brother Lewis realize, Lord, that he can trust in you, that he doesn't have to trust in himself. Help him to think on the things that are right. Draw him closer to you through those things that he thinks on, according to Philippians 4.8. And then, Lord, give him the peace that you promised that you'll give him. And that's what we can be praying for each other as a church. Brothers and sisters, almost every hand here was up. That means it's real. Anxiety is a real issue. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean anxiety does not exist. And don't let anybody tell you that. And don't let anybody tell you that it somehow makes you the worst sinner in the world because you get anxious. But brothers and sisters, do the right thing with your anxiety. Do, do, do the right thing with your anxiety. Let's pray. 
God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for each and every member in this church that's sitting here today, Lord, and for the visitors. Lord, you saw the hands that went up um, in that vulnerable moment where we all confess that we struggle with anxiety. And I just pray, Lord, that as a church that we would rejoice in you and your son and what he's done for us and rejoice in the fact that we have salvation because of him and because of your grace. Lord, that we would focus on the things that are just and true and honest and lovely and pure and virtuous. That we would take our concerns, our worries and our anxieties and we would place them at the foot of the cross, recognizing that you are a God that can handle all things and that we would put our trust and our confidence, our allegiances and our faith in you. And Lord, just watch you work in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would be content with how you work in our lives and that we would count it all joy as we go through various trials and that we would glorify you in all the things that we say and do, Lord. Draw us closer to you. Help us to not be overcome by our anxieties, Lord, but to instead turn to you so that we can see victory in our anxieties. God, we love you, we need you, and we praise you. We say this in your name. Amen.